Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Number one, the female always makes the rules. <laughs> two, the rules are subject to change without notice. <laughs> three, no male can possibly know all the rules. Four, if the female suspects the male knows all the rules, she must immediately change some of the rules. <laughs> the female can change her mind at any time. The male must never change his mind without written consent of the female. <laughs> and the female has every right to be emotional and get upset any time. But the male must remain calm at all times. <laughs> and the male is expected to read the mind of the female at all times. <laughs> and always, what is important is what the female meant, not what she said. <laughs> well, we're going to give you the real laws of marriage now, all right? That's where we're going today. But this is for you if you're married, obviously. You know, I was talking with someone in between services. And we were just saying how every one of us that are married, we need like a marriage tune-up every so often. But if you're single and you're thinking that you might want to get married, this is really, really important to understand what makes a successful, happy marriage. And if you're young and you're thinking, I don't know if this is for me, it, it is for you. It's good to hear this. You see, when we go into marriage, all that we have is the experiences that we've had at our home, right? And they're not always the best, right? And we come into marriage kind of having been taught by what we saw. And if you're divorced, you, you should really listen because you're going to understand why, right? Because we're going to give you the reasons, and it doesn't mean you did something wrong. It means somebody in the marriage relationship was violating one of the laws of marriage. It's real easy to think that, well, I can just live however I live my life. And, but boy, when, when I get married, you know, I can just, you want to start like a clean slate and, and build from there. But the truth is, you enter marriage not with a clean slate, but with whatever you have built and equipped yourself with and how you've um how you think and your habits you've developed and things so you you might as well start now and you young people this is the best time to prepare for great relationships and it says in first corinthians 14 that god is not the author of confusion but of peace and when we follow the laws of marriage it produces fruitfulness peace tranquility and the marriage flourishes but when we break the laws of marriage we have the exact opposite and intimacy inside the marriage begins to break down. So we're going to talk to you today about the third law of four, the third law of marriage. But remember, the first law was the law of priority. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, the man shall leave his father and mother. Once you get married, your number one relationship on earth, under God, is with your spouse. Right? Not your career, your friends, your family, your siblings. Number one priority is your spouse. Second law is the law of pursuit. It says she'll cleave to their spouse. And it literally means to passionately, with energy, pursue that person for the entire marriage. Right? Now, we all know what we do to find a spouse, but it's saying what we did to find them, we need to keep on doing. Keep putting forth energy, effort, keep on pursuing that spouse. Don't get lazy after you get married, right? Keep working on it, right? And to the degree that we work on our marriage, we will have a successful marriage. There is no area in life where you can be lazy and do better. 
And it is especially true when it comes to marriage. Now, the third law today is the law of possession, right? The two shall become one flesh, all right? So here's what this law says, that everything in the marriage is co-owned and co-administered, everything. And anything that you do not surrender to the co-administration creates a legitimate jealousy and causes the relationship to begin to deteriorate. So we know this when it comes to God. You know, anything in your relationship with the Lord that you're not willing to surrender to God, how many of you know that that's a problem? In fact, God calls that an idol. Now, the same thing is true in the marriage relationship. In fact, God says that he's a jealous God. Now, there's the, it's a righteous jealousy. He's saying there's something that should be surrendered to me that's not being surrendered. And the same thing can happen inside of a marriage. We each surrender our individual identity and we get a new corporate identity. It's not yours and mine, but it is ours. Everything, right? Now, if we live in a society that is extremely independent, extremely selfish. We live in the most individualistic society that the world has ever seen. And because of that, we have a society that does not want to surrender themselves. They're standing, you know, I'm standing up for my rights. I deserve this. I will not, I will not serve them. It's my, I work for it. It is my money and I will do what I want to do. And right now you are breaking the law of possession and your marriage is going to begin to disintegrate. There's going to begin to be problems. The intimacy is going to literally disappear as a result of violating the law of possession. All right. All that you don't surrender will create tension in the marriage and create legitimate jealousy and resentment as a result. Then the longer you don't surrender something to co-administration, right? the more damage that it will do to your marriage. And that's why we have people that live in the same house. But really, they're just they're like roommates. They're not really married. They say they're married, but they're like roommates, all right? They have separate friends, separate hobbies, separate finances, separate interests, entertainment, right? They're just each doing their own thing. And that, that's really not at all what God designed marriage to be. The intimacy that should be there is not there. The satisfaction that should come from the marriage is not there. There was a major university that did a study, and I thought it was really interesting. The result of their study was this. It was the University of Washington. It said shared control of the relationship makes for happy marriages. Shared control makes for happy marriages. And again, Jesus said, whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. When we're following Jesus, we lay everything at Jesus' feet. Anything we don't lay at his feet, it's an idol, right? And in marriage, everything becomes co-owned and co-administered. And your spouse needs to be able to weigh in on everything that happens inside the marriage. When, when you can catch the vision of, oh, becoming one doesn't mean that we're both going to be Dwayne and we're not going to both be Jeannie. It's not a matter of of um, him always agreeing with me or me with him. It's becoming a we. It's becoming 
not like the Wii's you play with, you know, the game, but becoming a unit where, where um, we're a new, th a new event, a new creation, basically. Um, there, it's a new unit. And the very thing that affects your ability um, to surrender to each other is surrendering to God. If, if I have areas in my life that I don't trust God with, I'm really going to have a hard time trusting my husband with areas in my life. And so it really starts with your relationship with God. The more that I know that I can trust you, God, with my finances, I trust you with um, my future, with my plans, with my kids, um, with my desires. I can give everything to you, God, because I know you love me. You, I know you know what's best for me. And it, when, when you're, the self part of you is ruling, you think you know better than God mm -hmm. what's right for you. And that's what happens in the marriage, too. And I think I know better than him what's right for me. And there might be times when he, he is not aware of what's important to me or what I need. But the thing is, it's not just Dwayne and Jeannie. It's not just the he and the she, but it's also the him, God. And because I'm not just, um, we're not just becoming one unit here, but God is in the mixture, mm -hmm. then he's the one. I'm not just entrusting things to him, but I'm giving my desires and, and my control, not just to Dwayne, but I'm giving it to God. And that's what makes it us able to do it and um, really makes it able to succeed. Now, it's in Ephesians 5. You typically, if you go to a wedding ceremony, they read from Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians 13. Ephesians 5 has the longest discourse in the Bible on the subject of marriage. And this is the conclusion. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying that marriage is a type of Christ and the church. So what's true about your and my relationship with God is right here. But then there's a parallel truth, right? That runs just like train tracks, right alongside, and that's the relationship between a husband and a wife. Now, we all know that if there's something in your relationship with God that you don't surrender, how many of you know that that is not good for your relationship with God? Right? It's an idol. Now, the same thing, remember, it's a parallel truth. Right? Marriage is parallel to your relationship with the Lord. And when there's something that I will not give up, Friends, hobbies, money, career, whatever is not co-owned and co-administered, whatever I won't let her weigh in on, right? it becomes tension in between us. It affects our intimacy. It damages the relationship. So everything when you get married becomes co-owned and everything becomes co-administered. If there's something you won't give up to the marriage... I won't give up my golf. I won't give up my fishing. I won't give up my hunting. I won't give up my money. I'm like one guy. He said, it's my money. I made it. I'm going to do what I want. Right? He went out and bought a new bass boat. Didn't tell his wife. I didn't say anything, but I thought, well, I hope that, golf, that bass boat can cook for you. Hope it keeps you warm at night. You know, because the, 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 the intimacy in your marriage is disintegrating right in front of you. Again, it creates resentment and it damages the relationship. Right? So we want to just mention real quickly three things that, when, that violate 
the law of possession, right? And what these things do is they create resentment and they damage the relationship and the intimacy inside the, the, the marriage begins to, disin, to disintegrate, all right? The first one is dominance or disproportionate control of the marriage in elements that are common to the marriage, all right? So when one person dominates, and let me just say right off the bat, there's just as many dominant women as there are men, all right? This is not a male issue or a female issue, all right? This is a human nature issue. Right? It can go either way. But when you've got dominance, one spouse dominates the relationship. Right? And what happens when that, when that one person is dominating, again, it damages the relationship. Intimacy begins to disintegrate. It can be seizing control of the marriage through money, through kids, time, friends, hobbies, future plans, whatever it is, when one person dominates and does not let the other person weigh in, you're violating the law of possession. And I will not share this thing with you. This part of my life, I will not share. When that happens, the law of possession is violated. The Bible says the two shall become one. And our spouse needs to be able to weigh in on absolutely every single issue in our lives and that concerns the marriage. Um, and when we talk about this, some of you might be in a situation where you say, I don't want to be dominant. I don't want to dominate all the decisions, but my spouse won't make any decision. <laughs> and somebody has to. You know, and there's a lot of situations where someone has to take the reins. And sometimes it's the woman because the man just doesn't do it. And it just kind of reminds me of um, early in our marriage when we were first married and Dwayne's like trying to, you know, say, honey, where would you like to go eat? And, you know, where we eat is really important to him. I mean, food is I'm like, a foodie. Yeah, he likes food. And, and so, I, you know, I'm just very honored that he asked me, but I'm like, okay, I'm trying to figure out what I want. I don't know, maybe Mexican food, maybe Chinese. I'm trying to feel how I feel. What am I hungry for? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I can't decide. My stomach's growling. And, and so, so he'd just like, he'd say, let's go wherever you want to go. And then he, then he would make the decision, we're going to Burger King. Well, 20 minutes later, she hasn't decided yet. And, and uh, so, so I'm like, you know, okay, I like, we're going to make a decision right now. I could never, I could never <laughs> pick the place we'd eat, even if he'd offer a place, me, because... So he had to kind of learn. It's like, okay, tomorrow we're going to go out to eat. <laughs> and I would like you to start thinking now where you would like to go. <laughs> you know, and you just, sometimes you've got to work with the personality that you have that's a little different. It doesn't mean, well, she won't make any decisions, so I'll just make them all. You just learn how to work with her personality and help her be able to be a part of making the decisions. And women, you know, if... Because the husband really is in the position of having the final say because God holds him responsible. And, you know, it's wonderful that they, they get counsel and advice from us and ask a, our opinion and, and use that to weigh and make a right decision. But um, if, if he's having a hard time making the decision, you can help him by not making it for him, not shaming him when he makes the wrong decision not um, putting him down, not bad-mouthing him. I tried to make Dwayne, 
I tried to help him make a right decision on fixing things. I bought him fix-it books and other things so he could read and learn. And I tried not to push him in that area. And it turned out that just wasn't his area ever. <laughs> and we've, we've worked it out. But, um, you know, I hope I never shamed him for that. I never tried to. It's just you're going to have your strengths. And so when we say that don't dominate, it, it means just don't just take and, and rule over the other person, uh, now, but rule uh, with them. Yeah, I'm gonna, you're going to get right back on this. Um, I know some men, like, well, the Bible says my wife is supposed to submit to me. Well, you should read the whole thing. First of all, it's, it begins, submit one to another. That's how it starts, right? And then, yeah, but it says the wife is supposed to submit to her husband. It does. Now, the submission only happens when you have two equals. Right? It says to the wife, submit to your husband because she's equal to her husband, not inferior in any way. The children, it says to children, it just says obey your parents. How many of you know the children don't have the same weight in the marriage as the husband and the wife? So it just says to the children, you just obey, just do it. You say, why? Because we said so. All right? But with the spouse... It says submit. And when there's submission, it always means you have two people of equal value, right? And like Jeannie said, oh, yeah, the husband, uh, the wife is supposed to submit to the husband. Yeah, when, when ultimately if you don't agree and everything is prayed about and weighed, yeah, the husband makes the, has to make the final decision. And like Jeannie said, God holds him responsible. All right? I so, remember one time, Dwayne, um, just kind of cutting me off because I was trying to share my perspective or my opinion or my desire, whatever it was. And, and it, it was like it would make him nervous. And, and, and then I, finally one time I just explained to him, honey, you don't, have to, you don't have to go the way I'm thinking is the right way. You don't have to agree with me. But I, I just have to tell you what I see, and then you can decide. And it's easier for me to trust your decision as being the right one, because I pray for you to make the right decision. But if, if you know that when I share an opinion, I'm not putting you down. I'm not telling you you're stupid. I'm not trying to tell you I know better than you. I'm just, I just got an idea, and I put it out there. And I think that really helped him, because, and because men will tend to, if you come up and say, um, Honey, we need to talk. I've got an idea. He's like, oh, what am I doing wrong? The most, the most scary words in the English language to a man are, we need to talk. <laughs> so <laughs> kind of like we think, I've done something wrong and she's going to get after me, you know. Just be, to understand that, man, that it's, it's not that we're just trying to put you down. It's like we just have another side that we see of things, and that's part of sharing um, the decision-making process is is listening. Yeah, when one spouse will not allow the other spouse to have influence, it is always unhealthy for the marriage. Right? Somebody says, just be quiet, stop talking to me. You won't let your spouse weigh in on an issue. It is unhealthy. Now, some people would just say, well, I just have. Yeah. You, you, in a minute. All right. Now, some people just say, well, I just got a dominant personality. Well, I believe that, but there is the great equalizer, right? And that is the Holy Spirit. He is the great equalizer. And when he shows up, yeah. 
His fruit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So when you get full of the Holy Spirit, no matter what your personality is, it produces love, joy, and peace. You may be really, really passive, but when the Holy Spirit shows up, you get bold. Right? And you might be very dominant, but when the Holy Spirit shows up, you get gentle. And there really is no excuse for any of us. What we need to do is submit to God right, and get full of the Holy Spirit. Remember, think of yourself as a sponge. Whatever the sponge is full of, when it gets squeezed against the wall, what's inside is what comes out. Mm -hmm. So just be full of God. Okay. Talk about that submission. Okay. Um, yeah, I was trying to ask him. I forget where to stick in this. But I want you to all look at my feet. See, these are size 8 boots. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about my feet, but I want you to watch my feet. Because this really helped me understand submission. And especially for women, because we're like, okay, I understand how to submit to God. How do I submit to my husband and, and um, you know, make this thing roll? This is not submission where... Right foot leads, and the left foot is submitted. This is not submission. They're equal. My right foot and my left foot are equal. And, and if you're in a relationship and only one insists on being, I'm the one leading, I'm the one leading, then you're gonna, people are going to think you're crippled. Your marriage will be crippled because you're, you're never going to be able to go far or fast. Or if you're the marriage relationship where, oh, I want to go this way, I want to go this way, and I'm going to do it my way, and I'm going to do it my way, and uh, you can't do that very long without having something break. <laughs> and... Um, but when, when the right, left, when they're submitted to one another, and this, the, the, the wife does her part, not try to do his part. If she's trying to do his part, and no, put, or he's trying to put her in her place, and, and, and always trying to put that one down. No, oh, you're stupid. Oh, no, you don't know how to do it right. Um, you can't get any place, but if you can picture your feet and how they work together, they're equal, and when they are equal, and sometimes one does stub its toe and is hurt, and the other one has to take up a, a little more of the slack and do a little more of the work, but they submit to one another. They appreciate each other. The, the, the wife has made for certain things that, that the wife can do the best. And the husband is made for the things the husband does the best. And when you put the two together, you can run far and fast when you each do your part and you don't try to do the other person's part. When you don't try to take over and rule the, and do the man's part. And when the man doesn't try to um, wimp out and do the woman's part. I mean, God just made marriage a wonderful, a wonderful, wonderful unit that works so wonderfully if we can stay in our roles and do it his way. And, and if you're, you've just been married, you know, a few years, or maybe you've been married for 10 or 15, but you know what? You get better at this. You get better at it as you go. That's why marriage keeps getting better and better and better. I like to think of it like a three-legged race. I mean, anybody here ever been in a three-legged race? You know, you, they, they tie two legs together, and you got to learn to go with the other person, not independent. You know, that's, what it's, that's really what the law of possession is like. In marriage, you learn to flow together. Both of you weigh in on everything. Now, so not, he's saying it's an adventure. If you're not married, marriage is an adventure. And it is. Okay. Another one of the enemies of the law of possession is simply our independence and selfishness. Right? We don't want to yield to the marriage. 
certain things, whether it's our job, our money, our kids, right? But the Bible says the two shall become one, right? And everything, in fact, everybody just say everything. Everything is co-owned and co-administered to the point, listen, that even your body becomes co-owned and co-administered. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Message Bible. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife. The wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it. Why do you need to both agree to it? Because it's co-owned and co-administered. And if it's for the purpose of prayer and fasting, but only for such times, then come back together again. So think about it. When you get married, your spouse, the only place that they can go to fulfill their sexual desires is with you. Right? And so literally everything is co-owned and co-administered. Now let me just say this. This is for use and not for abuse. Everything's co-owned, co-administered. If your spouse wants you to do something and you're like, I don't feel comfortable doing that. All right. Well, right there, you've just weighed in. And if one doesn't feel comfortable with something, you're not going to go there. All right. So this is for use. This is not for abuse. All right. And the marriage is simply brutal on selfish people. And when you don't allow your spouse to weigh in on everything, including what goes on in the bedroom, the intimacy in the marriage disintegrates. The marriage is damaged. Now, I want to say something about sex. I usually always have something to say about sex, it seems like. Um, <laughs> but I think this will really, really help you is if you can understand that Sex is not an event, it is a relationship. And that's why um, outside of marriage, it's people looking for an event. But it's made for a relationship. And, and when we're talking about um, the co-ownership you know, of each other and the that just, when that, that was such a revelation to me to realize the day I realized, oh, it's not that I'm just, in a marriage, I'm forced now to fulfill his sexual desires. When he wants it, the event, I'm the one he's got to it it with. <laughs> but when I realized, oh, he desires me, and, and I desire him. Sex is about the relationship, about desiring each other. And yes, is it, it's a nice event. But it's, it's, that's what the difference is and why it's so wonderful and why it's for marriage and it's good is because it builds the relationship. It's for the relationship. And when you know that you're giving to each other and, and it's, it's not just, um, you know, that, that it's, yeah, anyway, I just hope that I can make that clear because it's just so important if you realize sex is not an event. The world yells at you and says, oh, it doesn't matter. This is just, you know, if you just want it, just go get it. And then you'll be satisfied. No, you won't because it's a, sex is a relationship. And that's what makes it wonderful. That's what makes it fulfilling when you can fulfill and satisfy each other in, in a marriage. It's awesome. Yep. Now, third thing, real quickly, protecting assets is an enemy 
of the law of possession. And this really, we see it so often when we talk about blended families, right? Two people get married, there's children on one or both sides, all right? And the person feels like, you know, my kids have suffered enough and I'm not going to allow my spouse to discipline or to weigh in when it comes to the children. Now, when there's a blended family, we understand that early on it's always best for the biological parent to do any disciplining, right? But the new spouse must have the right to speak into the children's life. And if you feel more loyalty to your children than you do to your spouse, your marriage is in trouble. You are violating the law of possession. You're not letting your spouse weigh in and have a part of those children. And if that's the case and you're thinking about getting married, don't do it. Don't do it. Those children, listen, children are temporary. I know when you're young, you think it is forever. But it's not. They grow up and they leave. (laughs) Hallelujah. All right. But marriage is until death do us part. All right. Your, Your number one, your number one relationship under God is with your spouse. And when you're not willing to submit even children to that new marriage, you're violating that law of possession. It damages the relationship intimacy begins to disintegrate, right? And some people say, well, we'll just take care of that after we get married. We're in love. We'll just figure this out all out afterwards. No, figure it out now before it becomes an emotional issue, right? The Bible says, how can two walk together unless they agree, right? And you've got to start right away walking inside the parameters of the law of possession, And to help um, you who are blending families to realize that it is God you need to entrust your children to. You're not loving enough, big enough. You're not omnipresent enough Mm -hmm. to, to be everything your children need from you. And so we need to let go, let our children um, be cared and loved for by God. And so it's not just a, okay, this man is, is, um, will he love my kids enough? Will he, will he care enough for them? I don't know. Maybe I better protect them. Um, you entrust your kids to God. And you say, God, together. And together we're going to let God um, love and embrace these kids. And it says the children of the righteous shall be taught by the Lord. We're going to believe God mm-hmm. to teach these children and to yeah. keep them. You know, when we walk inside the law of possession, it communicates value. It says to your spouse, I value you. You have access to every area of my life, to my money, to my friends, kids, future, body, everything, everything. I value you, right? The law of possession always either conquers jealousy or creates jealousy, right? When we become intimate by sharing everything that we hold in our life, it creates that intimacy that we're looking for. And then possession creates an atmosphere of interdependence. It's saying, I am depending on you. I need your advice. I need your counsel. I value what you think about this. And what does that do? 
It, it literally creates intimacy. It strengthens the relationship. And as the University of, of Washington says, it creates happy marriages. When there is shared responsibility for everything inside the marriage. So, I think someone here needs to hear these words. It's okay to say, I need you. It's okay to need your spouse. You're, you're, not, um, you're not weak. In a marriage, you need to need each other. Mm -hmm. It's okay. You need him to forgive you. You need her to forgive you. You need him, and she needs you. It's, it's okay. No. Two are better than one. Where I'm weak, she's strong. She can fix stuff. I cannot fix anything, right? And I'm strong where she's weak, and I'm not sure where that is, but I'm sure I am. All right. For more information about Res Life, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about Res Life or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616-534-4923.